and welcome to the GMC podcast, the place where you can listen to the weekly word from God and other highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. This podcast brings you the sermon series, Matthew, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the King. There are five teaching blocks in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples. He'd previously been a tax collector, but was also a witness to the ministry and life of Jesus. In this first part of the series, we will take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. This is a keynote block of teaching in which Jesus introduces his listeners and you and I today to a new age that Jesus himself was heralding. In Matthew's writing, he, Matthew, draws the reader and the listener to see the evidence for themselves of the expected king, the Messiah who is Jesus, and asks you to understand both his identity and his authority as king. Jesus' ministry had already excited people in his time. He had drawn crowds and his teaching on the mount explains what it means to live under his kingly rule. So thank you for joining us on this podcast. And over a nine-week period, we will encourage you to respond to God's word and challenge of Jesus Christ as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. But now before we hear the word of God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. So let's just come before our Lord in prayer. The prayer that we start on a Sunday is about a prayer of approach. Um, I don't know how you think about prayer on a Sunday morning, but the purpose of this prayer is to bring you as a congregation and all of us here before a holy God. It's to prepare our hearts. The people who uh, pray here are seeking God and we come before him with thanks and Uh, our sinfulness and asking for forgiveness and and just coming before the Lord. It's preparing us to sing and come before his glory in worship. So let's pray. Father, we are here to worship. Father, we are here to bring our very being, our souls, all that we are before your glory in worship. Our chief aim is to glorify you, a holy God a holy, righteous God of majesty and grace with our life, with our work, our rest, our play. And each Sunday, whatever has gone on in our week, we bring our life broken and incomplete before you, God. We bring ourselves to worship, not to receive worship, but to participate in the worship of a holy God as a church as a corporate body for we are brothers and sisters in Christ adopted into sonship into daughtership into the holy family the church of Jesus Christ and for Lord it is a church of Jesus Christ across the globe regardless of denominational stripe or independent church whether a small gathering in a house, in a hut, in secret, or whether in some big cathedral or some mega church. But more often than not, relatively small numbers of like-minded people gathering together to bring glory to God. So, Father, accept our glory. But, Father, accept 
as sinfulness as well. Whatever we have done wrong in this week, whatever we've already done wrong this morning, before your sight, Father, we ask forgiveness. Whatever we have thought, whatever we may have said, whatever we may have done, Father, we are sorry. We turn. We seek solace in and through the grace of Jesus who died for our sins and we ask that you imbue us with that for we know when we are forgiven our sins are cast into the deep for you not a God who holds on to our sin often our sin grabs hold of us and makes us feel guilty Father release us from any guilt enable us to forgive others too forgive our unforgiveness Absolve us of our sins, Father, for you are the only one who can do that through your Son and through the presence of Holy Spirit. And so this morning, Father, we come before you, awed by your majesty, awed by your omniscience, omnipresence, omnibenevolent, for you are a good and mighty God who is worthy of all praise. Father, we praise you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you want to know more about how we can support you in your faith, or indeed answer questions of faith, we'd love to help you get to know the Lord and go deeper with him. Or maybe you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom. If so, then please get in touch through our Contact Us page of our website, gillespiechurch.org, or via our Facebook page. Whatever your needs, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Now, over to our preacher. Today, we're commencing our look at uh, the early teachings of Jesus uh, from Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. We're reading this morning from uh, the New Living Translation. I hope that's the same one that's up there. No, it looks like NIV. Okay. I'm reading this morning from... The New Living Translation. Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. The Sermon on the Mount. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up onto the mountainside and sat down. His disciples disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. May the Lord bless this, his word, and this message to us today.
for context, Jesus has recently commenced his ministry in Galilee. He's been baptized by his friend, John the Baptist, and he's been through his time of preparation in the wilderness and has commenced the recruitment of his disciples. He's been visible, healing the sick and driving out demons. He's been attracting the attention of the people. So both the new disciples and the people who are there want to know what is it that Jesus has to say? What's his message? What's his platform for their vote, if you like? How will he bring hope to the people of Israel? How will he win them over? Well, what we have, for starters, is the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes mean supreme blessedness, apparently. They are blessings given for a particular people, each given with a a corresponding promise. When I was younger, I, I referred to them as the Beatitudes because I couldn't really know. I didn't know. Even calling them the Beatitudes, I, I wasn't sure what that was. However, when you look into each Beatitude, each blessing and promise, there's actually a path to follow. It's a kind of a route map towards our eternal relationship with God. Jesus shows us here how to reach the kingdom of God, and that's our destination. As I've studied this passage, I've come to refer to these blessings, not so much as the Beatitudes, but as the Be-attitudes. As we've seen, God is less concerned with our achievements and our status as he is with our character. And the journey of our be attitudes is how we get there. Jesus' teaching was radical teaching, both at the time and even now, because it turns the whole world order upside down. Because focusing on character rather than achievement, looks, and status opens the promise of the kingdom to everyone, bottom up rather than top down, which is not how the world wants it to work. Do you remember the phrase that the first will be last and the last will be first? It's repeated across Jesus' teaching throughout the Gospels. This is how it happens. In his first teaching, Jesus sets himself on that course of counterculture, defying the establishment, teaching his kind of rebellion one which would set him at odds to those who held any power from the start. The kingdom of God is open to all, from the bottom to the top. I'm not going to go into full detail on each of these Beatitudes today because, well, people preach a sermon on one. But I want to break the Beatitudes into three areas of relationship which track our journey of our, the, the transformation of our character towards that kingdom of God. And these areas of relationship are internal, where God is in us, external, what we do through God in us, and eternal, what we do in the strength of God's name. I'll take these one at a time to illustrate that journey. So, 
looking at the, the first bit, the first couple of verses, the couple of, couple of Beatitudes, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. These are the internal Beatitudes. There is blessing for those who are poor and realize their need for Him, those who mourn, those who are humble. Some translations refer to this as meek. Unfortunately, the term meek has such a negative connotation. So I prefer humble as it's more like reality because it is a strength. When our spiritual journey starts, we, we must come before God in an acknowledgement and a confession of where we are without Him and of our need for Him in our lives. Until we acknowledge our own weakness and confess our sins and understand what is, or more importantly, who is missing in our lives, and that only God can make us whole, we can't move on. We must be at the bottom spiritually to then rise with God. However, when we realize that gap in our lives, when we mourn for our pos- the position we find ourselves in and mourn for the, the communities that we're in who are struggling, we will be humbled and we will humble ourselves before Him, knowing that He is the answer. God's promises for us is the kingdom of heaven, and He promises us comfort, and He promises the earth as our inheritance. We will receive His blessing just as we see in the parable that Jesus told in Luke the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The tax collector knew his position before God. He was a sinner. And he was the end of his spiritual tether, poor in spirit and mourning for his weakness, seemingly apart from God, finally humbled before him. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's why I think I prefer the use of the word humble as opposed to meek. Many situations, humility is seen as a desirable characteristic, and I'm not sure that the negative connotations in meekness are what God, uh, Jesus was talking about. In the context of the B attitudes, I believe that our humility is a positive attitude. 
even though others might see it just as weak as meekness. Like many here, we will, live, we will have been in work situations where meekness and humility are regarded as weakness and not characteristics of a successful person. Throughout my own working life, I've met a lot of determined, confident, driven people. And they've come through the bank searching promotion after promotion, not caring who they upset on their way to the top, who felt the need to show that they were strong. If you asked me for a simple description, I would use that sporting parlance. They can talk a good game. They know all the buzzwords. They know the right people. They, they network and push themselves in the, spo- the spotlight, but they deceive themselves. I, I get tired just watching them. I often find that they get promoted to that point just above their ability level, and then they disappear either into the mire of responsibility, stress, or out of the organization altogether. Personally, I've never been blessed with that type of, that level of ambition. And I've never been able to sell myself in interviews. I know I could have done more, gone further in my career. I just couldn't be bothered, really. <laughs> a bit of an admission, but, and often a source of frustration, both to myself and to others. Unfortunately, that reluctance to push myself to the front, to talk myself up and create the brand Ronnie, has not always necessarily been down to my righteous and humble character and my relationship with God, but more my reluctance to work too hard. But as I've grown in my faith, as my understanding of the the meaning of having God in my life has matured, I have seen the blessings this gives in my family, in security, and in purpose. I now have the strength in my own position and person and priorities. So career ambition becomes of less importance to what I can offer up to him. These first three blessings show us that our concentration on who we are should be rooted not in job title or possessions or social media followers, but in who we are defined by God, who we are in Christ Jesus. When we recognize the importance of his presence in us, we have the kingdom of heaven to look forward to. As we mourn, when we miss him in our surroundings, we have his comfort. When we are contented with God in our lives, we're part of his family, heirs to the whole earth. This is our internal relationship with God. We have his blessing and we celebrate that fact. And being family, we respond to instruction and opportunity in a different way. Today, society's norms hold such a strong influence and the pressure to conform and the consequences of non-conformity are, are, can be severe. This is the age of social media trolling, polarized politics and cancel culture. Even when I was young, I was gonna say when I was growing up, but I don't think I've grown up yet, but when I was younger, society's norms similarly influenced behavior. 
what was acceptable and what wasn't. There was a way to behave, whether it was don't make much noise in church, respect your elders, don't speak until you're spoken to, be suspicious of everyone. And if you didn't conform, the consequences could be just as severe. As children, you didn't, who didn't dread that, wait till your father gets home? Or worse, as an adult, being shunned or ostracized by the community where you live. Even in Jesus' time, society had its norms and even more strictly policed, with drastic, even fatal consequences for anyone who defied the way of doing things. This is where Jesus' message becomes a call to rebellion. But it's a rebellion of love. As family in Christ, we don't respond and act out of fear. We don't respond out of duty, but we respond. We respond as family. We continue our spiritual journey because that's that's what we do in our relationship in Christ. And so we continue to receive the blessings and promises as our relationship moves externally to action through the fullness of Holy Spirit in our lives. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. We have the context for action and blessing which impact those around us. These describe how our character changes and and how our be attitudes impact others, which in turn helps us grow. Such progress in our journey will naturally then create action and according to Jesus, blessings. If we are growing in our faith, if our relationship is being blessed, we will continue to thirst to be more in tune with God. We want what He wants. We want to live like Him. We want to love like Him. So action comes as a natural follow-on from our desire to live out our relationship. We love because He loves us and because love is at the center of all our actions in Christ. It also, it's also at the heart of Jesus' teaching Luke 6, verses 35 to 38, uh, in the message translation, Jesus instructs his audience to love your enemies, help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live live out to this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously. Even when we are at our worst, our Father is kind. You be kind. Don't pick on people, jump to their, on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find it life a lot easier. Give away your life. Your life you'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Being merciful is an act of love. Pure hearts display love. Working for peace, bringing people together, consoling them, encouraging them, not reacting negatively towards them are acts of love. 
So what this shows us is we can't truly understand and accept our internal relationship with God if that isn't visible in our engagement and relationship with one another. Quite simply, it's our pastoral care within the church family and our ministry outreach to those outside the church. I found a wee excerpt in, in, in the book, one of the books I was, I was reviewing for today, which tried to explain the seamless journey from internal spiritual emptiness to spirit-filled relationship overflowing into our external relationships. And it used a piece of graffiti which showed quotes from some famous philosophers. To do is to be, Nietzsche. To be is to do, Kant. Do be, do be, do. Sinatra. <laughs> the suggestion in the book was that that accidental philosopher, Frank Sinatra, had it closest. Because there is no pause, no dividing line between our being and our doing when God is working through us. Obviously, it's not easy to always show love. There are times when that is the last thing we feel like doing. We only have to look at the many horrors in the world around us, even on our own doorsteps, where people are doing hateful things to one another, where differences are vilified and any sign of weakness is exploited. It's hard to like some people, far less love them or show them love. But then, if it was easy, then perhaps we would feel that we don't need God to help us. These middle B attitudes show a marked difference from the first ones. There's a change in emphasis. While the early Beatitudes could be seen as passive, where we have little or no control over the subject, we're poor, we're sad, we're meek. These actions, these action Beatitudes are choices we make in order to journey forward. We choose to search for justice. We choose to show mercy. We choose the pureness of our heart. We choose to forgive. And as we continue to choose our action route, the more God continues to bless our lives. And the more he does that, the more we continue to encounter opposition and persecution. That's right. We will come under attack. Jesus is clear about this, both here and in other teaching. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you. That's pretty clear. No if, but when we will be persecuted. He says it again in Luke chapter 21, verse 12, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors and all, all on account of my name. Matthew 24, verse nine, you will be handed over to be persecuted put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. 
the consequence of our obedience is persecution. But that brings our eternal connection to God through developing the relationship in the power of God. But there will be persecution to face. There will be opposition. And that can take many, many forms. But we should be happy about that. Be happy about it. Be very glad for the great reward awaits you in heaven. We should be happy to encounter persecution. That's a strange statement. However, it does fit with Jesus' overall declaration, his rebellion call, which turns all of our thought-out logic upside down and connects us into the Father. And that's the reason for our happiness. If, oh, oh no, when we are being persecuted for doing right. Because we are followers of Christ. It's because at that moment we are closest to Christ. It's because Christ is with us, working within us. Persecution can make us happy. It can be difficult, but it can make us happy because we don't have to call on him in fear or in isolation since he's already there beside us, within us. There's another final interesting element to this final B attitude. The promise in verse 10. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. The more observant among us will have noticed that this is the same promise as the first beatitude. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is not a mistake. It's also that he's not run out of things to promise. It's just that this promise brings the journey round into its full cycle. It makes the blessings of God and the Beatitudes and their promises truly available to everyone. The kingdom of heaven is there for whoever takes that first step and realizes their spiritual need and steps forward seeking forgiveness and blessing. This makes the remaining part of that journey into relationship a choice, a desire, which pushes us on to let Holy Spirit into more and more of our lives. But that route is not always straight. And we'll often have to return to our internal relationship to be blessed again and to build our lives up in the Spirit and to feed our blessing into our external relationships through the guidance of the Spirit within us to again reach out to our eternal relationship in Holy Spirit power. But at all stages, we can all rejoice even more in our kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your strength in our weakness, for your love and comfort in our times of need. Thank you that we can grow in relationship with you and be confident 
in our communion with others, knowing that you are always there ready to help us, to protect us, to bless us, to take us to that next stage. Father, we don't always see or say or do the right things, but we are comforted that we can return to you to be filled again so that we can go out again once more in your glory, safe in the power of your Spirit in us and the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, in our situations. Bless us, we pray, as we go out from this service in the power of your name and your love. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday podcast from our team at GMC Dunfermline, Scotland. If you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org or find us on Facebook or look back at some of our videos on our YouTube channel. Just search for Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the contact us page on our website by calling the office. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by No Tree. Thanks for listening. <laughs>